the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a rainy day. Please be careful if you're driving in your car. Get home safely. And if you're going to call us, use the free KSLR mobile app because you don't have to do anything except push a button. As you heard in the introduction, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Uh, All you have to do is... Whatever's on your heart, ask, and we'll do the best that we can to give you those answers. Let me give you some phone numbers. 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local calling area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Um, The other thing you can do, as I said, if you're driving in your car, is to use the free KSLR mobile app and call us that way and you can do it really, really safely. We want you to be safe on the roads. I have so much to talk about. I could take up the whole hour with just a couple of things, but let me start with, uh, for me, Now, this may not be a big deal to you at all, but for me, this is a big deal. Uh, It was six years ago today that we began this radio program. Um, It seems at times like time is just flying by. It seems like six weeks ago. Um, I want to thank KSLR, um, my friend Michael Payne, who is the general manager, our studio producer, uh, Leah and JC, who helps out. Um, so many people over the years who've contributed to to making this program whatever it is, and that's for you to decide. I'm not objective about it, but I want to tell you I love doing this program. I love um, being able to answer questions. I love the opportunity to have thousands and thousands and thousands of people hearing about Jesus. And most of all, you know what I like? I like curious people because curious people are the ones that that God is really able to shape and mold. So six years for four o'clock. Let me also say I want to thank Paula. Um, Doing a live program every day when it's not your job, it would be different if this was my job and I was getting paid for it, Uh, but I'm not. Um, Doing a live radio program every day um, has a lot of constraints in the way you live, the things that you do and the places uh, that you're able or not able to travel. Uh, and especially on Thursdays on the Date Day Show, her show, uh, she makes it a lot of fun for me. And I just love being in ministry with Paula. Whatever we can do together, we like to do that. So uh, to my f- audience uh, here at KSLR, thank you so very, very much. Thank you for your curiosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. And most of all, thank you for your prayers for me and for this program and for the people who call. I know so many people pray for those who are unbelievers, those who are skeptics, those who are going through difficult times. And in these last six years, 
we have had an amazing opportunity to see God do seemingly impossible things because God loves to answer the prayers that come from the heart of his people, the people who have his heart. So uh, to the audience, thank you very, very much. Um, How long the program is going to go on, we don't know. But uh, what I do know for sure is that we're going to enjoy every day as it comes. Uh, The second thing I want to talk about, ladies, this is for you. I'm not going to tell you what it's about or what she's going to say. But tonight in our Sweet Summer Devotion series here at Calvary Chapel, um, Myra Jo Cuthbertson is going to be sharing her heart. And her story is one, especially in the light of the times that we're living in. It's a story that people need to hear. Uh, I watched Myra Jo come here as a relatively young girl. I've seen her grow into a beautiful woman, a godly woman. I've seen her fight seemingly impossible struggles. There have been times when we have almost given up hope for her. And then we'd see the Lord sort of blow the breath of life. And tonight she's going to be sharing all of that. And and again, I don't know what God's put in her heart, but I know Myra Jo and I know her story. You will be uh, blessed. That's tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. It's a night to bring your family. We have also our men's Bible study at the same time. Everybody meets together for worship and then they go their separate ways. Um, our junior high school uh, age kids uh, will be studying with uh, Chris Sanchez. Our high school age kids will be studying with Pastor Nelly. So we have something for everybody. And for the kids that are too young, we have child care for them. And they're going to hear and learn about Jesus in that time as well. So 7 o'clock here tonight. If you can't get here, ladies, the women's portion will be live streamed at calvarysa.com. Um, And if you miss it tonight, it will be archived as early as tomorrow morning, uh, and you can go see it. But Myra Jo, um, her story is really an important one. I think it will help us understand sort of the hearts of the people that we're dealing with in this present age. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. This coming Sunday uh, is our annual church baptism Uh, It's out in the Spring Branch area. We've got directions on our website. Uh, If you have not been baptized, if you're a believer and you've not been baptized, or if you want to be born again and get baptized, what a perfect time to do it. We're going to start. It's a big potluck. We'll have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people out there at the baptism. Um, Every year I'm in the water for a couple, three hours, and it's really a good time. We're going to get started about 3.30. Invite family members, friends, even unsaved family members and friends. Uh, They'll come for an event like this. At the same time, so often people get saved as they hear the testimonies of the people that are going to be baptized. So that's coming up this Sunday. If you have any more questions, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, or you can call uh, our church office, 210-658-8337. About 3.30, and it's about because we get out of here, third service, usually around 1.30 to 1.40, and um, then we got to go home real quick, change clothes, and get out to the river. But it's always a good time. Uh, I also want to take a few minutes um, while we're waiting for the phone lines to, to light up uh, to talk about my weekend. Um, I'm operating on about oh, a total of four hours, five hours, maybe sleep uh, this weekend. Um, nine years ago, uh, we planted a church in Durango, uh, Mexico, and um, the pastor um, invited me to come out and share with his church. I'm not a traveler, so it's not something I really wanted to do, but the Lord really put on my heart. He wants me to go. Um Nine years ago, Pastor Jay Bentley and his wife Carmen and his kids, um, with nothing but a burden on their heart, uh, went to a place. Now, Carmen, her family was born there, but she hasn't been there since she was a a baby. Uh, They grew up in Southern California, moved to Texas, came to our church. Jay actually taught Bible and hermeneutics here at our high school. And uh, just lots of things that were going on. And, and one day he came to me and said, God's put Durango in my heart. Um, we sent a team out there sort of to scout the area. 
and he, of course, was on that team. Um, but um, the Lord really confirmed that's what he was to do. And Carmen and Jay left Calvary Chapel of San Antonio to go start a church from scratch, without knowing anybody, without having a plan, certainly not with a whole bunch of money in tow. Um, but they heard the voice of God. Now, the reason I wanted to share this with you is because so often when we hear the leading of the Lord, we try to figure out how we're going to do it. How can we make this work? And you can't find that model in the Bible. God called a man to go to a place. He sent that man, and then God did wonderful work through that man. Well, God works the same way today. When Pastor Jay went out, he didn't collect from a bunch of people that he could put the touch on to make sure that he and his family would eat. They went depending just on God. And I will say to you, I'm honestly ashamed that it took me nine years to get out there. I Sometimes I miss out on what God has for me as well. When uh, uh, I don't like traveling, I'm really busy, you know, I've got my responsibilities here at our church. But I really needed to go. Uh, they needed for me to go. And I was so blessed by what I saw. The people were so wonderful, so loving. Over and over they said, don't wait nine years to come back. Pastor Jay translated uh, for me from English to Spanish and did a great job. Um, I told people, I, I think it's going to take a long time to do this because normally I talk 45 to 50 minutes and and um, this could take twice as long if he's going to repeat everything I say. And they laughed, but, but what a great job he did. Um, it's a good-sized church for Durango. There was probably 125 people who are there, and that's sort of regularly their attendance. The economy in Durango is not booming by any means, so a lot of those people, most of those people, by our standards, are quite poor. But oh, how they love Jesus. And they poured that love out on me and on Pastor Juan, uh, from our church went with me, so I had my own personal translator where we were in the streets or, or doing something. Um, just kind of take care of me. I don't see well, as most of you know, so uh, he's sort of there to take care of me. And we just had a great opportunity, great opportunity. I taught out of um, Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 14. Um, but really, I was there to exhort them. Um, at the end of the message, I gave an invitation Always knowing, anytime you go into a church, it doesn't matter how big or how small, there's always people there who aren't born again. And 13 people, and here's what blew me away, most of them were men. 13 people gave their life to Jesus yesterday. And I thought, my goodness, this is worth the plane trip, this is worth everything. And uh, I just have to tell you, I was so proud of Pastor Jay and the work that they're doing. Uh, they're real pioneers. They built their church building from the ground up with their own hands. I told Jay, I said, you got a building before I did. Well, they built it with their own hands. And then he built his house, and along with some help from people, to build his own house there. Get a piece of ground. It's not too expensive out there. Build a house from the ground up. All the while, telling people about Jesus and winning people to the Lord. So if you could think about it, it'd be a favor. I would consider it a favor. Uh, if you keep Pastor Jay Bentley and his wife, Carmen, uh, Calvary Chapel of Durango, uh, in your prayers, uh, that would be a blessing. What a wonderful group of people. I have to tell you, now normally I don't have favorites, but yesterday, uh, almost as soon as I got there, they were waiting for me. Pastor Jay told them all kinds of stories. And uh, a woman named Olivia instantly became my favorite. She said, you're not nearly as old as I thought you would be. And I laughed. And she said, no, no, no. And her English was not all that good, but, but I could understand her. She said, uh, no, no, I, I don't mean that. And then she said, and she's trying to come up with the words, translating. She knew what she wanted to say in Spanish, but she's trying to come up with the word in English. And she said, you're well-preserved. And so I told her, you're my favorite. And it just, you know, when you're around the people of God, it's just a wonderful thing. So busy weekend for me, uh, but really fruitful and a wonderful weekend. 
So with that, let's go to some questions. We would love your calls. Area code 210-340-9585. Uh, if um, you are outside the local area, you can call uh, 877-630-KSLR. From our mobile app, our first question today comes from Nacho. He says, have you heard of breath prayers? Um, Nacho, I had this question actually Friday, and I'd never heard that term. I know what, I now know what it is. I've done some research, but uh, breath prayer, we might also call it meditation or contemplative prayer, but really it's sort of a new agey exercise. Um, Empty yourself within so God can come and fill you is the idea. And the concept is that you just ah, breathe really deep eight or ten times and then as you exhale offer a very short contemplative prayer. Father, Increase my faith. And then breathe deep again. And the idea here, at least the theory, is that this is how we can then fulfill Paul's uh, exhortation to us uh, in his letter to the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. Now, explaining that's what people say it is, let me tell you, it's just nonsense. Um, just like yoga is emptying yourself and um, that that's not what we need to do uh, what we have to do is be with Jesus and and prayer as I've said many many times on this program it's something that I want I want to take all the mysticism out of there's no magic to prayer there's there's no formula there's no super secret way although this thing called breath praying has been practiced for a very very long time um Real prayer is just talking to God. And I think the reason we come up with these sort of contrived positions on prayer is that too many of us are trying to pray while we're not living a life committed to Jesus, the one to whom we're praying. Too many of us are trying to pray while we're holding on secretly or not so secretly to some hidden sin in our lives. So very, very important that you understand that prayer is nothing more than talking to your best friend who happens to be the Lord Almighty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's something that I hope helps. Every Saturday morning we have corporate prayer here at Calvary Chapel. And one of the things that I usually lead with is, Lord, you're more eager to hear from us than we are to come to you in prayer. And if you think about Jesus waiting with bated breath every morning as you start your day, I wonder if he's going to talk to me. I wonder if she's going to ask me for something. I wonder if I can help them today. And too many of us, we only pray when we don't have anything else to do. Let me also say this. With breath praying, it's it's not something that is worth practicing. It's not something that we should even spend any time considering Nacho. But here's one thing for sure that we need to remember. We get to talk to God. Just talk to Him like a friend. Don't change the cadence with which you speak. Don't change your tone of voice. Just talk to Him. He's your friend. And he wants to hear and answer your prayers. And the more we pray, the more like the one to whom we pray we become. That's a staggering statement. The more we talk to Jesus, the more of him rubs off on us. So walk in the Spirit. Walk in obedience. Talk to Jesus. That's what Paul meant pray without ceasing. You know, think about Paul for a moment, and he is such a, a, a heroic figure for the church. Uh, Paul traveled thousands and thousands of miles on his three missionary journeys. And he did so without benefit of cars, motorcycles. He did so without the benefit of Facebook and sending out prayers on the internet. They would walk or they would be on horses. And they would go, and he had so much time to pray. 
And I really believe that we all of us have a lot of time to pray. We just fill it up with stuff that doesn't matter nearly as much. If you take your Facebook time, your Instagram time, your texting time, and cut it in half, how much more time would you have to talk to our Jesus? So we don't need breath prayers. What we need is just to hang out with Jesus. Nacho, hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from not coming up. There it is. From our email inbox from AA. AA, good to hear from you again. You've been quiet for a month or so. Pastor Ron, my question comes from Hebrews 11, the so-called Hall of Faith chapter. It's not the so-called. It is the Hall of Faith chapter AA. He says this, How can a person such as Rahab, steeped in the profession of harlotry, be included? The only thing she did was lie to authorities and hide two spies. Are we to presume that she was worshiping Yahweh before the spies showed up? Isn't it possible that she hid the spies out of fear of death for her and her family? She knew the Israelites were coming to conquer the land. Are we to assume that she stopped her trade, that of being a prostitute, before the fall of Jericho? And what about the time after the slaughter and she was living among the Jews? Did she no longer practice her trade? Hey, there's a couple of things that I, I, I may have said to you before. I know I've mentioned it a lot on this program. When we need, um, or, or when we study other cultures, other times, we need to get rid of our Western cultural bias. It's real easy for us as Christians to look, oh, she was a prostitute. Why would God use her? Well, I was Ron the jerk, and God uses me. I said earlier at the program, 13 people gave their life to Jesus. I got to ask them to stand at their seats, and as hard as that is, especially for the men to do, they did it. If they knew who I was before Christ, they wouldn't even come to hear me preach yesterday. We need to understand that God uses sinners because if he didn't, he wouldn't use any of us. And we have a tendency sometimes, I'm not making this personal towards you, but we have a tendency sometimes to forget who we used to be. I love the Apostle Paul saying to the church in Thessalonica, describing people's lives and the sinful ways they live. And then he said, and such were some of you. But now you have been justified. You have been glorified. You are being sanctified. Well, that's the story with all of us. And Rahab, her faith started really, really small, but her life became really, really big faith life. We know that because of her inclusion in Hebrews 11. Now, Rahab lived in a place where it was not a shameful thing. It was sinful, but it wasn't a shameful thing to be a prostitute. There were families that needed to be support, women whose husbands died or women whose husbands divorced them and just left them alone. They had to make a living, and the only thing they could use to survive was their bodies. And so they did it. We think it's a terrible thing. It is a sinful thing. I want that to be clear. But it's no worse than the guy who was a drunk or the guy who used marijuana or the woman who has multiple lovers, none of whom she's married to. You see, God meets us where we are. And the reason that God used her is because she could be used. I think sometimes we have to get so desperate that we know there's no hope for us apart from Jesus Christ. Today, on the airplane coming back uh, from um, uh, Durango, uh, we were talking to a guy who's a Christian ministry. Um, he's a motivational guy, but a rapper and stuff. And, and um, um, Miguel Rodriguez was his name. Um, and so we had a really nice conversation with him for the hour and a half that we were on in the air and the, the, the hour waiting for the plane. Uh, his wife and his daughter with him. 
And I said, so, Miguel, when did you get saved? And his response was, well, you know, about seven years ago. Um, and I said, so you married him before he was saved? And she said, well, we were engaged, and it was just started. But then he looked at me and he said, Pastor Ron, let me just be clear. God made it clear that we wouldn't survive without him. And he met two sinners and saved them. Well, Rahab was a sinner in need of a savior. And she was one that God could use. Now, she didn't get in the hall of faith because she lied. She lied because at that point her faith was really teeny tiny, but in the process, she saved some lives. And clearly, the implication is that her faith grew and she began walking with God as best she could in a law setting. But her heart was for God, and when God finds somebody who's seeking them, the Bible says it, you'll be found. So great questions. Remember, this isn't 21st century America when we read the Bible. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. Our sixth birthday, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. We have 30 minutes left in this half of the program, 340-9585. Let's go to our first caller of the day, San Antonio, Texas, Jason on line one. Jason, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, I have a question Hi. for you. Okay. Um, my question was that before Christ, did seniors go automatically to hell? Good question. Uh, the answer... Um I'm going to explain this. I, I, I don't mean to sound duplicitous here, Jason, but the answer is sort of. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 16, Jason, is where you're going to find your answer. Um, Jesus uh, tells a story. It's not a parable. He tells a story about Lazarus and the rich man. Uh, the rich man was cruel and and um, um, enjoyed all that he had. Uh, Lazarus was very, very poor, and he suffered and begged for crumbs at the table of the rich man and was rejected. Well, uh, Jesus is story says that they were both um, called to account on the same day. And Lazarus went into a place called Paradise. Uh, It would be the place that we would call Jason of the Righteous Dead. Uh, It's not heaven. Uh, It's in the abyss. The Greek word is abuso. uh, Somewhere in the center of the earth. Um, But but it was inhabited by those um, in paradise. It's also called or referred to by Jews as Abraham's bosom. Now, also in that place is another compartment. There's a, a, a big gulch between them. And this is where the rich man went. And the rich man says that he is in torment in this fire. Uh, It's not a literal fire, but that he's in torment. So uh, he was sent to that place of torment. He asked for help. And and Father Abraham said, there's nowhere to help. I can't come to you. You can't come to us. And he said, well, then go tell my family, my brothers, that this is true, that this place is real. And... um, Of course, the response to him was, no, we can't do that. Even if someone would rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So, Jason, it's a hellish place, but it's not the place we call hell the great, uh, after the great white throne judgment, the lake of fire. It is a temporary holding place. And by the way, all of the people who died without believing in Christ, the word of God, to whatever degree they could, um, they remain to this very day 
in that place being tormented, waiting for what will ultimately be the real hell, uh, the lake of fire. And that, of course, won't uh, even be created uh, until the end of the Great Tribulation. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, everyone who rejects Jesus will go. Then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. So they are in a hellish place, but it's not called hell. It's called the abyss or the place of torment. Does that help? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. thank you, Jason. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a from Thomas, our email inbox. Uh, he says, instead of a question today, I have a praise report to share. I drive a fuel tanker, and this afternoon I was loaded with eight thousand gallons of gasoline and diesel fuel. I drove from San Antonio near the AT&T Center to New Brunfels. It was raining the whole trip. When I got to my destination and began unloading, I heard a hissing. There was air leaking from a two-inch crack in the sidewall of my left steer tire. Normally, that would have been a blowout on the interstate and possibly a rollover. Uh, with the addition of the weather conditions, a major accident. However, Jesus sent an angel to put his hand over the cracked tire to keep the air in until I came to a safe stop. Thomas, God bless you. Thank you for sharing the praise report. And, um, you know, Jesus protects us from things that we don't even know about. Well, in this case, you know what you are protected from. So God bless you. Thank you for sharing that praise report. And please, please, please be careful out there. Here is our next question. This one comes from our mobile app, uh, sent in anonymously. Uh, how is it that horoscopes are so accurate? Anonymous, I, I'm, sometimes I think these are trick questions because there's nothing at all accurate about horoscopes. Nothing at all. They are written so generally. They are written with such vagueness that they could apply to almost everybody at any time. You know, I've been in church meetings where false teachers were there and, you know, they're getting ready to take offerings and somebody will say something, you know, there's somebody in the audience with a headache and God says you're healed, that kind of thing. Well, you know, there's probably a hundred headaches in the room. There's somebody who's got somebody in their family that's sick and it's simply not true, um, not specifically true, but generally, it can apply to a lot of people. That's the way horoscopes are ac- are written. So they're not accurate. Don't give them more credit than they deserve. If any type of fortune-telling, horoscopes, um, anything at all like that, if there's any truth at all, then the source of that truth comes from the enemy of our souls. He uses those things to destroy you. And Anonymous, I want to say this. Um, I know old habits can be hard to break. But I want you to think, the next time you look at a horoscope, I want you to think of Jesus with a tear rolling down his eye. I want you to think about how much it pains him that instead of trusting him for the future, or instead of trusting him for your day today, that you're trusting the enemy. I've told this story before, so I'll make it very, very quick. But as a kid growing up, there was a psychic on uh, KFI radio in Los Angeles. His name was Kenny Kingston. I'll never forget it. I would listen to him. Uh, he only came on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday nights. And I would go to bed early so that I could listen to the program. And I would try to call so many times because, you know, we all want to know the future. And he seemed so harmless. We'd call, people would call, give him the birthday and, the, and our first name. And he would say, oh, hello, sweet spirit. And then he would start predicting your future. And people bought it lock, stock, and barrel. Now, I wanted to, but there was just something keeping me from calling. I know now that it was Jesus. That is not the domain of the Spirit of God. That kind of behavior, including horoscopes, anonymous is the domain of the enemy of our souls. Trust God and Him alone. I wonder often what it's like for Jesus when a professing Christian consults a horoscope or consults a fortune teller or gets their palms read or any other nonsense. 
Well, we know how he feels because we know he judged King Saul for doing that very thing with the witch of Endor. Jesus, Jesus, and just Jesus. You know, anonymous there are over 7 billion people on the earth. How many of them have a birthday in a particular month? How many of those could, as I said in the other example, have a headache? I mean, we can be general and apply these kind of principles to almost everyone. So that's the best I can do with that question. Here is, let me see, a question from Lisa. Pastor Ron, is it okay for a Christian wife and mother to work a job outside her home? Lisa, listen very carefully. Of course it is. Of course it is. Here's what I would ask you to do. And that's to ask Jesus what he wants you to do. Don't try to figure out what you need to do or what you feel like doing. Say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And there are a whole bunch of Christian wives and mothers who God has in the workplace, and he's using them wonderfully. But there are an equal number of Christian wives and mothers that God says stay home. The key is finding out what God's plan for you is. But of course it's okay. Many families need two working people in them just to exist. God understands all of that. But see, the problem is when we do what we feel like doing or what we think will help the problem, we miss out all too often on God's will. You know, sometimes when families go through financial struggles, and believe me, I'm a hard worker, there's nothing wrong with work. But sometimes we come up with solutions like this without thinking it through. Yes, it might help the immediate problem or the immediate need, but how is it going to help your family? How is it going to help you, Lisa, if in fact it's not what God's plan for you is? And one of the great sources of freedom that we have as Christians, this, this what I'm about to say, radicalized my life 27, 26 years ago. I didn't have to make any decisions anymore. If I needed to move, if I needed to get a new job, if if I thought about um, just some different thing that needed to be done, I didn't have to decide what I wanted to do. I could say, Lord, your will, that's what I want to hear, your will. What do you want me to do? Then, Lisa, the next thing, because you're obviously married, is to bring your husband into the conversation. Say, let's pray about this. Let's find out what God's will is. Maybe God puts this in my heart. Maybe it's your husband who's struggling, and he put it on your heart. Husbands and wives together, one flesh, need to report to their Lord. What do you want us to do, Jesus? You see, sometimes God takes us into lean places. I'm talking about financially. And he takes us in those lean places to test our faith, to determine whether or not we're going to be faithful or if we're going to take matters into our own hands. And Jesus, between a husband and a wife, will always give you direction. If you're spending time in the Word together, he's going to speak to your heart. If you're praying together, he's going to answer those prayers. But if you do what seems right to you, you're probably going to end up in more trouble than you ran in the first place. God wants to teach us that he is truly our all in all. I was talking uh, with AA or answering his question earlier about Rahab. Uh, You know, faith starts small. I think the message I did, uh, not yesterday, but the Sunday before, here at Calvary Chapel, uh, I I said that faith always starts shallow. And then Jesus, if you let him, will pull you into deeper and deeper and deeper water, and pretty soon you have pretty deep faith. But faith needs to be exercised. There is no exercise of your faith by solving your own problems. And as a Christian, as believers, we have 
won the right. Now, when I say we've won the right, the right was won for us by Jesus. But we possess the right to ask God what we should do. But from a freedom perspective, if somebody's told you, oh, no, you're a mother, you need to be home with your kids. You're a wife, you need to take care of your husband. Well, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But God will tell you. All you have to do is ask him. So at least I hope that helps. Here is a question from Danny. Interesting. I just heard that Mark Driscoll has made a comeback and has a church in Arizona. Why do people keep falling for men like him? Um, I don't know Mark Driscoll. Of course, I think everybody is familiar with uh, his history in Seattle, Mars Hill. Um, He became one of those instant successes, or so it seemed. Um, Seattle, one of the most unchurched cities in this nation. and uh, He had a church. He had a message that resonated with the people. And uh, in an unchurched city, um, Mars Hill, that was the name of the church, um, became a megachurch. Uh, he lost a church because of um, spiritually abusing his people. Uh, he was a pastor that um, thought it was cool and hip to use foul language, you know, to be relevant. Uh, he was young when he started, in fairness, but at the same time, the pulpit is a sacred place, and we're not to that language and ungodly world that we live in influence that. Um, and he kind of, Danny became a rock star. And when anybody becomes a rock star, they're in for a fall, and he had his fall. Uh, I'm aware that he is in Arizona. I think he's in Glendale, Arizona, or Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, people are starting to come back um, with his history. Um, I don't know why people keep falling for men like him, except that we're gullible. We're gullible. We should look for people that we can follow as they follow Christ. I want my church to be able to say, I follow Pastor Ron as he follows Christ. I want to be able to tell them, to exhort them, that that's what every one of us is supposed to do. Every man in this listening audience who has a family and a wife needs to be able to say to his family, don't listen to me, watch me. And then follow me as I follow Christ. Every mother needs to be able to say that to her children. The problem is, it's easy to find a rock star. We're sort of in a celebrity culture in the church, in this country. I think it's finally beginning to fade away because so many of those celebrities have disappointed us and broken God's heart. But... By and large, we're still looking for somebody that we can follow, whether or not they're following Jesus. And I think, personally, that Mark Driscoll has disqualified himself from pastoral ministry. But guess what? I'm not his judge, and um, nobody asked me what he should be doing until you just did, Danny. So uh, pray for Mark Driscoll, pray for his family, and pray for the people that are in his church. 340-9585. Here is a question from Sherry. How can I answer someone who says they don't need Jesus because they're already a good person? They think they're going to heaven because they are good. You know, Lisa, I I don't... I'm sorry, Sherry. I I don't know um, what you can say except explain to them that God's standard for heaven is not good. It's perfect. And typically a person will say like that, well, well, nobody can be perfect. And then we can say that's the point. There's no point in arguing with them. There's no point in opening Romans chapter 3. There is none good, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God continually, the Bible says. I think we just understand that there is no God if he isn't holy, just, and perfect. And so his standard of perfection is perfect. Now, a lot of times, Sherry, that line of reasoning will um, pique some interest and some questions. Well, well, I don't think that's fair, they will say. I think God's standards are too high. Then we have the opportunity to say, well, you see, that is why Jesus died. 
because we couldn't be perfect and God knew we couldn't, he sent Jesus. And Jesus was perfect. And when he died, he gave us that perfection and all we had to do to get it is give him our sin, our filth. And so I would tell your friend that if you've ever done anything wrong and then always ask him, have you? Well, of course I have. Well, then you're disqualified from heaven, but Jesus with open arms is inviting you in. Heaven's not filled with good people. Heaven is filled with saved people. Sadly, there are a whole bunch of people every week in church, Sherry, who think they're going to get to heaven by being good or doing more good than bad or even trying their best. Or, well, at least I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't kill anybody. God understands me. We have to remember the standard for entrance into heaven is absolute perfection. And that of every person who's ever lived on the face of this earth, multiplied gazillions of people, only one lived a perfect, sinless life. And it just so happened that that one crawled on a cross and suffered and died for us. And then if your friend says something like, well, what if I don't want to be a Christian? Well, then you're going to go to hell. Be direct. But that would break Jesus' heart because he died to prevent you from doing that. Lisa, that's the gospel. And even without bringing up Bible verses and pounding them with your Bible, in conversational style, you're telling them why they need Jesus. So I hope that helps. And by the way, Sherry, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of people who think they're okay just the way they are. And what we need to be sure to let them know is that nobody's okay the way we are. Often that's met with, oh, you Christians think you're better than everybody else. Oh, no, 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 no. We know we're not. We know we're not. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. It's a question from Neil. Two of Mexico says, I have two questions about church. First, what should I be looking for in a church? And second, do I need to have formal membership in the church that I choose? Um, Neil, what you should be looking forward to uh, in, in church or looking for in church is simple. Uh, a, a Bible teaching, not a, not just a preaching church or uh, uh, an entertaining church, but a church that really believes, stands on, and proudly proclaims the Word of God. Then what you need to be looking for after that is a church where you have an opportunity to use your gifts. Whatever the gift that God has given you one or multiple gifts. You need to exercise the use of those gifts in a body of believers. Look for a church where there's a lot of people who are obviously following Jesus. Look for a church where prayer is the norm instead of something unusual. And look for a church where there is a legitimate expression of worship. Don't look for a church to meet your needs. Look for a church that you can meet their needs. And when you start serving in the church, Neil, that's when you'll begin to thrive in your relationship with God. The second question, do you need to have formal membership in the church I choose? Um, That would depend on the church that you choose. Uh, I am not a believer. I don't think there is a single place in all of Scripture Now, we can tiptoe around Scripture and we can go into principles and general thoughts, but there isn't a single place discussing the New Testament church that has formal membership the way it is practiced in our church culture. We are all members of one another. The the, the people in Corinth were members of the body in Corinth. They were members of the greater body of Christ. The the same is true of all of the places uh, to whom Paul wrote. But I'm afraid that the reason that we pursue formal membership as churches, and we don't here at Calvary Chapel, but I think it helps us not have to trust God. 
I can have somebody be a formal member. I can give them our statement of faith. Uh, then we can discipline them, and we ought to do that anyway if they're in sin. But uh, we can also have them commit 10% of their income. And then we can budget, and we don't have to walk by faith. I I see uh, an unbiblical practice in so many churches. Uh, we call it church membership, uh, but, but the formal part of it just doesn't appear in scriptures in the pages of the New Testament, not anywhere at all. So, no, you don't have to. Ha- having said that, if the church you choose uh, has a requirement for more formal membership and you're convinced after really visiting and praying that this is where God would have you go, then become a member. Don't hold back just because you're a little skeptical. You become a member because that's the requirement of the church that you have chosen. Remember, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Lots of love, lots of fruit, lots of vibrancy. Opportunities to serve other people. Not to be served, but to serve other people. Now, you'll be served as well. But first and foremost, we look to serve. And you'll grow to love your church. Churches are families. I think we've got how much time? Okay, come in. So let me let me share a quick story, Neil. Yesterday at uh, Calvary Chapel uh, Capilla de Calvario uh, de Durango, I was greeting the people, sending them love from San Antonio, Texas. And I said, you know, you are my children. Now, they've never seen me. You're my children. I said, by that I mean that your pastor came from our church. We planted this church. And we love you. I love you. And then I said, you know what? As we were worshiping before I came up here, I looked around and saw all of you worshiping, and you really looked like my kids. That's why being in a church and being a part of that body matters so much. Neil, thanks a lot. Well, you can hear the music. Ladies, do not forget Sweet Summer Devotions tonight at 7 o'clock. Myra Joe Cuthbertson, you will be blessed, I promise you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.